Welcome to our new show called The Roadmap. My name is David Nage, and I'm here to be a conduit to a lot of the experiences that I've had, especially in the family office community. Uh, I've been working in the family office world for almost 10 years now. I've helped two family offices over the course of the last few years with their direct investments. I spent a lot of time uh, focused on impact and sustainability uh, in early stage companies, uh, specifically in their seed or series A. And I've seen a lot of things. I've met a lot of family offices. I've had the pleasure of networking for the last 10 years within the family office community. A lot of people these days are trying to get to uh, family offices, whether they're big private equity firms or whether they're raising their new fund or if you're out there and you've uh, you created a new business, you've created a new platform, a new product, and you're trying to raise some money uh, outside of the money that you or your family and friends have put into that business. And you've heard that family offices can be great investors because they are much more uh, long-tailed. They are more of what we call, quote unquote, patient capital. And so, I'm, uh, I've created this podcast, and again, we're calling it The Roadmap, uh, to help lots of different people. Um, specifically, though, I want to focus on the entrepreneur that might be listening that is at the crux of something amazing that can help this world, um, either on the, uh, in the scope of the environment or in education. Uh, those are two areas that I care deeply about, and those are two areas that I see huge expansion and new economies of scale going forward. So uh, again, I wanted to give you a little bit of a background about me, um, how I can uh, hopefully uh, give you more of what's inside my brain on this podcast, and uh, hopefully that can be useful to you as you're talking to lots of folks going forward. So again, uh, back around 2008, a friend called me. Uh, he was working at a big hedge fund here in New York, and he said, um, hey, you know, we're going to be shutting down the fund. Um, the world is becoming a crazy place, as many of us know, the financial crisis and the Great Recession started in, in 08. Um, and so he asked me, he, uh, he said, hey, do you know anybody who can get me a job? And I laughed. I said, you know, obviously, you know, I'm even can wor- I'm worried about myself. Uh, the world is becoming really scary. Um, and I had been in the financial industry for probably eight years before that call. Um, and so, um, basically, I, I, you know, he, he ended the conversation. He said, you know, it's not because I, you know, my performance is bad or, you know, we're not doing good work for our principal and our limited partners. It's basically because the the principal of the fund wanted to shut it down and form a family office and run his own money and do things himself. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, what is a family office? What is that? Um, and it kind of kind of nudged at me. Uh, my dad was uh, in the investment banking world for um, probably a decade or so, starting in the 80s. And I had always had inkling towards finance. Um, was always very scared about math for some reason, though. I never really, uh, I always, when I was at school, especially in high school, I always had some sort of a block. Now, if you ask me to do, you know, computation, I can pretty much do a lot of things in my head. Um, it's weird. Um, <laughs> that's just the, that's another story for another time. But basically, um, you know, he told me that you know this they were going to form a family office and that they were going to be cutting staff, and I had no idea what that family office was, and so I 
I took it upon myself to start researching it. Um, luckily, Google was pretty useful at the time, and so I Googled a bunch of things. I started digging deeper, um, running diligence, if you will, and I came across a lot of biographies on the families like the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, um, a lot of the folks that built businesses in this country 100 years ago. Um, and then it led me to a lot of uh, stories about early venture capital in this country. Um, people like Arthur Rock um, kind of benefit or speak about the, the relationship he had with Sherman Fairchild and how they were able to build a team and uh, the Fairchild family gave them capital to do work. And obviously out of Sherman Fairchild Semiconductor, um, out, of, uh, out of Semiconductor, uh, Fairchild Semiconductor, obviously Intel was birthed. And so I started to develop this thesis that family and family offices had been at the forefront of technology innovation for hundreds of years. And I would do things like go to my local CVS and I'd pull some consumer products that I use on a daily basis. I'm sure you use it too. And I would go and take it home and start Googling the founder of uh, your, your, your favorite toothpaste or your, <laughs> your uh, you know, something that you use on a daily basis. And it would go back to the history and see that usually there was a family, and, you know, and someone um, had the courage, was an entrepreneur like you are, and they uh, were able to really drive it home and build adoption. And then they had a massive liquidity event. They probably sold their business to a uh, Colgate Palm Automotive or um, you know a Unilever, and um, now they have a few hundred million dollars, even billion dollars plus. And they don't know what to do with it. Um, you know, it's a, a lot of us say, "Hey, I wish I had those problems." But for family and family offices, it's it's daunting um, because, especially if you were the one that built the company and now you sold it. You know, a lot of uh, folks. There's a lot of good research out there, a lot of um, stories out there that they start feeling they've had a piece of their limb cut off. They don't know what to do. Um, but the other problem is, is that you now have hundreds of millions of dollars and you have all of these people coming out of the woodwork who your great aunt Joan from, you know, Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico says, Hey, you know, uh, I have this great real estate project in Tacoma, Washington. Why don't we take a look at it? And you haven't heard about this person or maybe haven't heard from them in 20 years. And so usually they want privacy right away when they have had that liquidity event. Um, and they form a family office and they create um, a lot of shelter and a lot of layers um, so you can't actually get to them directly. And so um, when I was you know, researching all this, I had that kind of epiphany that families were so important and critical to our, our lifestyle and our society that I started understanding that they, there wasn't a list. You're not going to ever find a list. If you speak to someone today, oh, I've got a list of family offices that so I can sell it to you for X amount of dollars, run run as fast as you possibly can. Um, I had to do it the hard way. I realized that you know they do socialize. People who run family offices and even the principals you know, do socialize. They don't just go into a hole and you know, pray to God that they don't get called by people, but they do socialize and they go out to dinners and cocktail parties. Um, they are investors in big private equity funds. And so usually there's there's networking, there's you know things out there, and I just was pushing the, the envelope and I was going to those as much as I possibly could and making myself useful. Um, I would never actually try to sell them anything. I was never a broker. I was never trying to pitch them on a deal or anything like that. I just wanted to get to know them and see what they were up to and get to see what kind of things they were doing because I 
was a fan. I knew that their family, whether it was their family or one of their families that they knew, did something amazing for me and for my family. And I was just very grateful for that. And so I wanted just to get to know them and see you know, you know what we could do in the future. And so I did that for a number of years. And around four years ago, a lot of those same family office folks that I was meeting started saying the same things. They said, um, the big institutions out there, the big banks um, had, um, there's one in particular, had changed their methodology. And instead of being more of an advisor to the family, they were now trying to sell directly to them their own product line and they had changed the fee structure on them. And this is a big thing with the family office world is fees. Um, they don't really love fees, especially if the capital is just sitting in a warehouse basically and uh, it's not being used. And so um, that was a big problem. And um, a lot of their hedge funds and a lot of their private equity positions were not really doing that well for them. A lot of, there's a lot of hedge funds out there. There's probably 10,000, give or take. and few and far between are actually able to create alpha, uh, which is basically what you're paying a manager for is, is return on investment, pure return on investment, and that uh, can be derived many different ways. And um, a lot of them, you know, over the last five, six, seven years, you know, you're seeing a rebound now, but over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, a lot of hedge funds weren't doing that well uh, relative to some of the big indices out there like the S&P 500 or the MSCI. And again, they were paying massive fees, usually two and 20 is the normal rate that you see. And private equity was also um, a problem for them. Um, they would see a great manager put money into them, you know, call it $25 million. They, the, the, the private equity fund finds a great asset in year two or three of the fund. Um, they take an active, uh, they take active controls and measures. And now all of a sudden you're starting to see cash flow. It's um, you're starting to see some dividends coming back. Um, the you know the needle in the haystack, if you will. And effectively, what happens is that because there's usually a mix in the caps, uh, the cap table. You have family offices, and then you have big sovereign wealth funds who might put in two hundred and fifty, you know, maybe three, four hundred million dollars into the fund. And in year five or six, that asset that they found that's growing beautifully um, now has a multiple and invested capital. It's you know maybe two, three, four x, you know. And uh, they uh, the sovereign wealth uh, fund manager calls and says, "We want that realization. That's that's money. We need that." Um, whereas the family office says, well, wait a second, if we hold on to that for another five, 10 years plus, you know, that 4X could now be 10X. Um, they're willing to take the, the long tail risk. There's, there's two differentials in family offices. There's family offices who are trying to get rich and there are family offices who are trying to stay rich. Um, and usually, you know, you see a lot of family offices willing to weather volatility for the long play. And so, there was a huge dislocation there um, with family offices and other institutional clients of private equity funds. And so um, basically what they started calling you know, me on is saying, hey, we're gonna take some capital back and do things ourselves. And we're gonna start looking at early stage companies, very interested you know, many years back on trying to look at biotechnology companies that were say, you know, trying to solve the cancer problem. Um, which to this day obviously is still a massive problem, but with things like genomics, hopefully we're, we're seeing some results. But 
you know, very interested in trying to solve problems and trying to look at family-run businesses that private equity and institutions usually never look at, companies that might be generating one to five million of free cash flow EBITDA, uh, whereas the family could come in and they realize the asset and they can come in and grow it exponentially um, and keep a lot of the management there. They usually don't tear things apart. Um, and that became a big thing. They wanted to work with other families that had uh, operational experience in certain areas that they might not. They wanted to diversify. If it was a family office that had an operating experience in real estate and they were doing biotechnology, they wanted to work with family offices and other principals that had experience there, that had you know, businesses. And so you'll notice as time goes on, as we continue to have these conversations, there's lots of family offices in the world. There's over roughly 10,000, give or take, and they are situated in nodes. Um, there's one in New York, there's one in Chicago, there's one in Dallas, there's one in Miami, there's one in uh, San Francisco, there's one in Los Angeles and, and other areas in the country. And those nodes don't really talk very well together. Um, in fact, if a deal comes from a fa San Francisco family office that's very tech-focused, uh, and it comes to New York, the first instinct of a, a CIO of a family office is paranoia. Why are you sending me this? Why didn't all the other family family offices and investors in San Francisco and the Bay take it down? And is there something wrong with it? Um, and so you've got all these different family offices out there that are in their own isolated nodes. Um, and they don't talk very well together. And basically they were asking me, hey, do you know other people that do these things? And I was helping them out. And I wasn't doing this for money. I wasn't doing this for fame. I wasn't doing this for anything. I, I, I laugh, fame, there's no fame in this. Um, but I was just doing it because I knew I was building something special and I was getting a lot of connectivity. Um, and I realized that human capital was going to be much more relevant um, going forward. And so I was helping them. I was connecting them um, and uh, basically... I did that for a number of years, and uh, because I was always focused on the kind of the bid and the ask, you know, I'm looking at biotechnology. Can you find some other? Do you know other family offices that know biotech? You know, there's a lot of family offices out there that don't know biotech that won't help that particular family. And instead of putting them in touch with those, I was very specific on focusing on people that had experience in and around a specific uh, industry or vertical. And so. Um, you know, by the time I started working with my first family office, I, because I was all that networking and all that outreach and help, um, I had touched over 850 family offices throughout the world, um, and I was able to kind of keep data on them, my personal, you know, personal data on, on conversations about their experience and their uh, kind of operating businesses and what their mandate was. Do they look at early stage technology? Do they focus solely on real estate? Do they look at hedge funds and private equity only? Um, lots of different things. And so um, with all of that, you know, kind of information at hand, um, you know, it's been a very special time because, you know, as I, you know, I'm venturing out, um, you know, I can help you understand what these people typically look for. I can help you understand kind of the nuances of um, you know the family office world. When you're preparing things like a pitch deck or hopefully you have an executive summary first and foremost, what kind of language should there be? What are the things that they care about? And they are becoming a very sophisticated investor. Um, a lot of people have tried to downplay family offices as quote unquote dumb money. Um, but they are far from that. Um, they have hired 
a lot of really, really smart people, uh, people that typically go to Harvard Business School, people that have had experience in private equity and venture capital, people that have had experience in banking, um, that have seen a lot of things. Um, and so these are very smart um, people um, that know the, langu the language, they know what they're looking for. Um, if it's an early stage technology company, um, they know how to ask for things about like um, CAC, uh, what's the you know, cost of uh, acquisition, LTV. Um, they know the, the terminology that the typical VCs would start asking you. Um, and so be very aware of that. Uh, but again, this is, you know, I wanted you to understand me a little bit more. I wanted you to understand my background a little bit more, what I'm passionate about. Again, if you're an entrepreneur who is trying to build something to really, you know, dare I say, save the world. Um, but if you're an entrepreneur who is trying to solve problems in society, um, you know, one of the areas that I care deeply about is what I would call resource efficiencies in the built economy. 40% um, of our greenhouse gases come from buildings in this country. And if we can make our buildings cleaner and greener, uh, if we can make them smarter using technology that's currently existing, um, that's a really good thing. And so if you're doing things like that, if you're looking at uh, areas in healthcare, if you're looking at education, that's another area that I care deeply about because we have 55 million kids in this uh, country in our education system. And uh, we really need to, um, what I would say, pump up the volume on STEM. Um, those are areas that are really critically important. So again, um, this is uh, kind of the bio part of uh, the roadmap. And I will be, uh, over the course of the next few podcasts, giving you insight into what is really important uh, when you're talking to family offices. You know, what are some of the areas that will be your pitfalls and what are some of the areas that will really help you accelerate those conversations. Um, and if you have questions for me, feel free to email me. Um, and of course, in typical podcast fashion, you know, if you like this and then Javi, hopefully you, you can let me know. Um, if you have things that you want on here, you know, you can let me know too. And looking forward to having good conversations with you all going forward.